It's my uh, pleasure to introduce our second speaker of the morning. There are many ways to the Catholic faith. Some of us were blessed to have been born and raised Catholics. Our parents, with some measure of devotion, taught us the faith and how to practice it. It is true that at some point we had to decide for ourselves whether we accepted what our parents taught us and to what extent we would continue to practice it. But having Catholic parents and being raised Catholic gave us a leg up on coming to the true faith. Others have not been so fortunate. They may have had kind and loving parents from a natural perspective, but they were raised in a false faith or with no faith at all. Surrounded by a secular culture, what hope can they have to find the truth? And yet, the hound of heaven is relentless. He gives all of us, even those whose life circumstances place them far from the faith at the onset, all of the graces necessary for their salvation. And if we cooperate with the first graces offered, our good God will give us more and more until they become a torrent. Like many of you, I'm sure, I love conversion stories. I suspect we love them because at their core, they are all about God's love and mercy. But God's grace works through people. Almost every Catholic convert credits one or more people for playing key roles in their conversion. This morning, Stephanie Nicholas will tell us her conversion story and give us some guidance on how we might help others find the truth. Stephanie is an unexpected Catholic convert from a lapsed Greek Orthodox background. She firmly believes that the rosary will save the world. She is a regular writer for Catholic Family News and 1 Peter 5, and lives a couple of hours east of Toronto. Would you please welcome Stephanie Nicholas. Good morning. Thank you so much, Kevin, for the introduction, and thank you to everyone at Fatima Center for having me come and talk. This is my first ever speech that I've ever given in public. I was homeschooled most of my life, so I've never even had to give a class presentation. And as I was trying to prepare for this talk, a good friend of mine sent me a kind of comedy video of her, her version of a motivational speech. And <laughs> she started it off um, by saying, Stephanie, you're going to do great. And by you're going to do great, you're going to be average, because average is humility. And she went on to be funny and crazy like she always is. But I think she made a really good point. My conversion story is an average story about an average person. It isn't to say that we're not called to greatness or that we're not called to be saints, but that holiness is found in fulfilling the duties of your state and by responding to God's grace in your life. I think Kevin took a lot of my points I was planning to make about that. So if you had told me two years ago that I was going to be standing here in a room full of fellow Catholic youths and giving a talk on my conversion to the Catholic faith, I would have thought you are absolutely insane. Catholicism, I can genuinely say, is probably the one religion I never considered, that I never looked into. So I guess going back in going going way back to my childhood, and I think, I think that all of our conversion stories are obviously shaped by our whole lives. Um, 
there is a moment. There is a moment when I can honestly say I think that's when God opened my heart. But that came after a lot of trial and error and, unfortunately, sin. Um, and as Kevin said, uh, I think the main thing to remember when we're thinking about our own faith and thanking God every day for it, and when we're trying to bring other people to God, it's to remember that the truth wants to be known because the truth is a person. We're not just convincing people to accept a set of ideas, though, of course, we, you know, God speaks to us through divine revelation, through scripture and tradition, but the word of God is living and active. And unlike the Protestants think, the word of God is not just the Bible. It's Jesus Christ. And he wants to find us. I was, I was raised by my mother and father, who have been um, married for over 30 years, thanks be to God. Um, I have two younger sisters. I am the oldest. I grew up on a tiny dirt road in the middle of rural Ontario um, in a tiny little converted one-room schoolhouse. I was homeschooled, but I was not part of a, obviously, uh, not part of a traditional Catholic homeschool family, which I think is great. Um, I was raised by parents who were very loving in a lot of ways, and I I love my family very much. And my father um, and I have always been very close. My dad is, to this day, a Greek Orthodox subdeacon, so please pray for him. (laughs) Um, So we still, obviously, we have some debates, (laughs) but we're still... Still one of just very dear friends. And um, my mom became Orthodox to marry my dad. So as time went on, I think that kind of um, sense of being unequally yoked in my parents' marriage became more and more apparent as I got older. I think my mom started off more generally kind of socially conservative, at least. Um, And as time went on, I found that my early formation, which by my father, who is somebody who he is certainly not a kind of um, ethnically focused Greek Orthodox. He's very serious about his faith. Um, he has been Orthodox his entire life. So I really, I really grew up hearing that. I grew up going to um, divine liturgy every Sunday. I grew up hearing about the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. I grew up hearing about the saints. Um, I grew up hearing about the Theotokos, Blessed Mary, Mother of God. Um, but I think that my early formation should really serve as just a cautionary tale of how easy it is to lose even the good things that you have. Um, My family, um, my father and mother really have this kind of tendency towards liberal politics, at least, you know, kind of fiscal liberalism in this, and this sort of gets very easily warped into just kind of liberal social values as well as as time sort of went on. Um, And then there was the aspect of being raised in a Greek Orthodox church, which as a half Greek, I was never quite Greek enough to feel like I was really part of the community. It is very, um, and I'm not speaking for every single Orthodox parish anywhere, but, you know, mine was very focused on the Greek community. And I never really, it's complicated. I think I had an innate interest in the church and God, and there was just this, this inner sense of wanting to love God. I really do think that that, maybe that was given to me at my baptism, but that was always there. However, I felt very alienated from the faith that I grew up in. I didn't understand it. Um, this was before, before the internet was really a thing. Um, so, and there was very few resources for Greek Orthodox people. Um, I had a little, a little book. It was a little, uh, I actually just realized this the other day. I found my little, um, 
children's missile. And it was actually a Ukrainian Greek Catholic children's missile that my dad had used uh, because there weren't any Greek ones. So I just, um, there was this sense of wanting to dig deeper, but I felt closed off, partly because there was not really a sense of community and because of the lack of catechesis. Um, so I am the first to say that uh, the liturgy is incredibly important and it is the key and the focal point and the traditional Latin mass is worth dying for as many saints have but you know it, it's also wonderful to see events like this where there is a sense of community a sense of being around people who understand you and who are trying to live the same kind of life and build the same kind of world that you are so from my orthodox childhood um, became a sort of Protestant set of teenage years. I started going to a Protestant weekly youth group um, where it was just a lot of the, the community stuff that I had been longing for my whole life. I, you know, I kind of found that. I found other people who at least shared my basic views on things like abortion and sex outside of marriage and these sorts of things. But I found that as time went on, I never could really accept the key tenets of Protestantism. I found the idea of the Bible alone just didn't make sense on its face. Um, I found their, their idea of going to church on Sunday was so radically different than what I had grown up doing. It, was, it, it felt, at least in these kind of, this was a non-denominational kind of Protestant community I was a part of. And it felt like going to a concert. I think this is probably a more reverent setting than a lot of the Protestant churches that I went to. And I found that they could not answer my questions. Um, now, as somebody who talks about the reality of sin and hell, because I think it's necessary, um, that's actually one of the things that really uh, made me turn further from Christianity, was thinking about how I was hearing that these people, because they didn't say they believed in Jesus Christ and accepted him as their personal Lord and Savior, they were all going to hell. And because you have your good and you're going to heaven, I found that to be profoundly unfair. And it is unfair because nobody thought to kind of tell me that if you love God, you keep his commandments. It is not faith alone. And it really comes to no surprise that um, from those years of my life, when I at least held to a basic idea of Christianity, I at least believed in <laughs> Jesus Christ was incarnate um, and those, those sorts of things in scripture, from there, I think that is when the moral decay started to come into my life. And um, I forget who said it, but that um, St. Augustine or St. Thomas <laughs> said that sin darkens the intellect. And I think, I think that's very true. And as I entered kind of into my later teenage years, I noticed all of the people, virtually all of them that I went to these youth groups with who had become my close friends and become the community that I had wanted to have as a little kid, all of these people began to turn to just further and further into the, the sins of the world, and especially sins against chastity. And it's very hard to it, it's very hard to have the strength to resist that when you don't have the sacraments. You know, at this point, obviously, I wasn't even I wasn't even Orthodox anymore, let alone Catholics, right? So um, it was very easy to be led into that sort of temptation. Um, of course, I never want to give details about these sorts of things, but there is a reality that a lot of people who have not fortunately uh, been in the situation of having committed these sins, it's very hard to explain the level of intellectual blindness that happens to you when you start letting these things into your life. Um, so I guess from there, you know, from my 
kind of teenage years, I fell to a very a kind of side point that this is why I'm so much against feminism. And I will say that feminism is an evil thing to anyone who asks me. I think that Satan used my innate sense of wanting to be led by someone, wanting to be protected and cared for. And that is a nature that women have and we need, and it's a good thing. But you can imagine how that becomes a very bad thing when you are, you know, dating men in the secular world who have no interest in chastity or purity, and it's very easy to let yourself be led into sin. So I guess um, that is when I really started to lose any semblance of Christianity. Um, in my late teen years, I dated an atheist. Um, I didn't actually become an atheist at that point. Instead, I became a Wiccan. Um, I started doing things like tarot cards, Ouija boards, um, these sorts of things, and I've had terrifying experiences with them. They're real, and they're from the devil. They're real. People treat it as some kind of joke, these occult things. But I have, I have witnessed very frightening things happen. And, you know, thank God I did because I think that helped me to get out of that pretty quickly. So fast forward several years into my kind of mid-20s. I, um, I had explored a lot of religions by this point. You know, I'd been interested in um, Hinduism and Buddhism and all these really cool, trendy Eastern religions because anything from Western civilization is very boring and we should just not bother with it. I, um, so I started in, no, in November, sorry, whatever the election of November 2016, I guess. I started, I think this is when things really started to change in my life in a very roundabout way. I'm sorry, my story is a bit confusing because it was a bit confusing to live through it, trust me. Um, <laughs> After around the election of Donald Trump uh, in 2016 was when I started um, becoming a kind of political writer and commentator and being on social media and talking about politics, at least in a broad sense, and, and culture and the, the kind of the big ideas that you're not supposed to talk about at Thanksgiving dinner. That was all I found very interesting. And at that point in my life, I realized that I was regaining this kind of innate interest in finding the truth. I think this is something that is in all of us. But the question was not that I, I don't, I don't think, I cannot recall any point in my life when I believed that, um, when I kind of defied the principle of non-contradiction. I never believed that two diametrically opposing views could both be true at the same time. I have always found that idea silly, even as a, even as a kid. But what did happen was I lost the will to find the truth. I lost the commitment to finding what is the right way to live my life. What, what are the right things I should believe? And it's an exhausting way to live. And I think through beginning to write about politics, I kind of got um, my first inkling of that, of realizing some of these things that I had assumed must be, must be true because they're good and nice and liberal and we all just have to get along um, weren't true at all, that they were built on complete falsehoods and they didn't, rec they didn't represent true compassion. I started very slowly seeing... You know, I was very, I at least saw the utility of religion. I didn't even, I didn't even, I think I was kind of getting closer to seeing it was either um, kind of Christianity or, and I also explored Judaism at one point because I was um, dating a Jewish guy. Another reason you don't date non-Catholics ever. Um, but, you know, the, but I had this, I, I wanted to find the truth in a very mistaken way. I, I really did want to find the truth. And I saw the utility of religion. 
I saw the utility of, okay, look at a society, look at Canada, look at the United States. There is an obvious utility in having the majority of your citizens believe the same things about the world. There's an obvious utility in everybody believing that it's wrong to kill unborn children. There's an obvious utility in believing that marriage is actually a thing that exists and that you can't just make it up to be whatever you want. And then the real, the real start of everything um, was when I started to talk about Islam. <laughs> this is a topic that is very fun to talk about. It makes people really like you. Um, you never get, you know, threatening. Uh, <laughs> You never get threatening letters. You never get uh, local hacks writing hit pieces in your local paper about you. None of that stuff ever happens. And um, <laughs> I think that God used this topic to bring me to him precisely because it taught me how to stand for the truth when everybody hates you. Because that is what we have to do. There is no other choice. And everybody really hates you when you say Islam is evil. It's Islam is evil. You know, not saying I hate all Muslims, certainly not. I want them to convert. I love them. I care for their souls. But Islam is evil. And the more I learned about this, the more <laughs> there was this kind of initial, initial thing that started happening where I started getting respect for the Catholic Church, a religion I'd never really considered. Um, I kept reading about the Crusades and the Battle of Lepanto. That was another big one. <laughs> and I just thought, wow. The Catholic Church stood up to Islam. That's awesome. That's, that's so interesting. Um, at the, around this time, um, I don't know if any of you know Steve Skojek from 1 Peter 5. Uh, he had started following me for my uh, kind of counter-Islam content at this point. Uh, and he reached out to me and sent me some articles from 1 Peter 5 from a Catholic perspective about Islam. And he kind of invited me to the faith. The value of that is huge, guys. He's the first Catholic who actually spoke to me, who actually offered me Catholicism in my entire life. Um, I basically, of course, I didn't hear it. Uh, we kept up a pleasant kind of rapport on Twitter, but I kind of was like, I don't believe in the Pope. I was raised Orthodox. If I was going to come back to Christianity, it probably wouldn't be Catholicism. But. <laughs> so uh, fast forward again um, to January of 2018. Um, actually, I'm going to back up a couple of months because there's one more, one more thing that happened before this. Um, in November of 2017, there is a video that I did, um, an interview with a friend that I did on YouTube. And I was just talking about politics and we talked about religion in this video. And I have a clip of it where I, I literally say, I want to believe in God, but I don't know what the truth is. And if God wants me to believe in him, he has to let me know. He has to make it clear. And he did, <laughs> not even two months later. Um, so in January of 2018, I was invited on an all-expenses-paid one-week trip to Texas oh, sorry, to learn about um, the Islamic Jihad and particularly the operations of the Muslim Brotherhood in North America. So it was really crazy to be invited to this course. I've never done anything like that. I was pretty kind of like I feel right now to be invited <laughs> to be invited to this conference. It was, it was a crazy thing. Um, and it was a one-week course, and this, this wasn't a religious organization. They, this, I was studying Islam at that point from a kind of counter-terrorism, um, foreign policy, kind of counter-jihad perspective. I didn't really care very much about the theology of Islam because I was more or less living um, a kind of living as if there was no God. I guess you could say I was vaguely a kind of uh, believed in moral therapeutic deism. You know, I, I'm sure I'd pray if something was really awful, but <laughs> that, that was about it. And I went on this course, and I noticed something right away. Um, 
there were a lot of Protestants at this talk, or at this, at this um, little course, and every morning we would say a prayer. And I really liked that. It was kind of a charming thing, and I thought these were very nice people. And they obviously believed in God. And I wasn't hostile to religion at this point. You know, at least from a utilitarian perspective, I at least saw the value in it. And I noticed that three of the people at this conference would make the sign of the cross before they ate. And I thought, huh, they must be Catholics. Because <laughs> I've only ever seen Orthodox do it, and we do it the other way. It was, a, it was a long process to start doing it the Roman way. I just did it wrong right now. <laughs> I've been Catholic for a year and a half, and I still, still can't do it. Um, old habits die hard. Um, so I started, I started, they didn't, you know, really talk about Catholicism very much, but we did talk about the history stuff. I got even more just ama- amazed by the Crusades, <laughs> amazed by the history of Christendom. Um, and I, people, you know, people now are like, how could you become Catholic? What about the Crusades? And I'll be like, funny story. That's actually a huge part of my conversion was because the Crusades were a good thing. And, um, I think the moment though, when, so at this point, you know, it was, it was making me ask uncomfortable questions. Um, I was busy at this conference. We were, you know, working like 12 hours a day. It was insane. But, you know, at night laying in bed, it made me ask some questions, you know, just how happy I felt seeing these people pray. It reminded me of, you know, being, being home with my family and my dad saying prayers before we ate, you know, and a little bit into this course, a few days in, we had to, they made us watch videos of ISIS terrorists killing people. I don't know how long it was. It felt like an hour. I'm sure it was like 15 minutes. They wanted us to know that this is what people are really doing. And this is what you're speaking against when everybody hates you for telling the truth. Because it's important. These are real people. This really happens. And something something within me just broke when I watched this video. First, it's just, it's just all the, you know, the kind of usual gore, people hung upside down, being beheaded, just horrific things that you never want to see because it's just unbelievably evil. But what really, I think the moment that God got hold of my heart was watching this, this little this young girl, 13, 14 years old, she's in her you know, full, not a burqa, I guess you could see her face, and she's buried like up to her, waist in the ground Um, and this girl is crying for her mom all these men stone her to death it's a video but like I watched her die and something in me just said I have this willingness to talk to tell the truth to talk about things that are evil in this world, because evil clearly exists. I don't know how you can look at the world and not believe that evil exists. But I have nothing good to fight for. And these people around me, these Christians, they didn't feel hopeless like I did. They believed in something. They didn't just believe in fighting evil for the sake of it. They believed in fighting evil because they believed they would win. And that if evil is real and is in the world, and it's obviously more than just a human construction, you know, how you feel when you're seeing, seeing a little girl being stoned to death as she cries for her mother, a little Muslim girl. I don't hate. When you realize evil is like that, that it's a real thing, you have to believe that good is a real thing too. And... 
couple days later, when I was going to go home, I was um, in my hotel room. I had to stay an extra night before my flight left the next day. And uh, for the first time in a very long time, I just said a prayer. You know, I just said something simple, like, God, whatever you want from me, just tell me what you want me to do. You know, and by this point, um, a couple of the Catholics from the conference had kind of at least, you know, talked to me about Christianity. They asked me about my background because I told them, oh, actually, you know, I'm, I'm Orthodox technically, you know, and they didn't even exactly expressly encourage me to become Catholic, but they definitely said to kind of come back to God, right? So it was a still more of a kind of invitation than most Catholics I'd ever met in my life and very good people doing a lot of good work. And I prayed to God, and when I got home, when I got home from this trip, I wasn't decided on Catholicism yet. I knew I wanted God, and I knew I wanted Christ, because what I saw in these people and their love of Christ was a strength that I knew I needed to just survive what life is today and to find the truth. And uh, so I get home, and I, I talk to my dad, and I was like, hey, can I come to church with you on Sunday? And he was like, you want to come to church with me? <laughs> What are you talking about? Yes, of course, of course you can come to church with me. Um, and uh, I was living at the time in the town where his, his parish is. Um, and uh, that morning, it was a Sunday morning. Um, I have an almost four-year-old son named Dawson. Um, and uh, it was freezing. It was horrible, you know, Canadian weather in the very beginning of February. And uh, the last day you want to go anywhere. And then I, my father texts me and he's like, I'm so sorry. The freezing rain out by my house, we live in the country. It's like, it's impassable. I can't, I can't go to church today and I can't pick you up. I'm really sorry. Like, we'll go next week. And by then it's like 9 a.m. <laughs> and I was like, I have to go to church today. I just have to. I just, I just knew I had to go to church. And uh, as Providence would have it, <laughs> I had been living not even a five-minute walk from a Catholic church for three years. <laughs> I'd walk by this church thousands of times. My grocery store is like across the road. <laughs> I'd walked there so many times, and I looked at my little boy, and I was like, well, <laughs> we're getting bundled up, and I guess we're going to this Catholic church. Obviously, I wasn't going to go to a Protestant one. Um, I wanted the Eucharist, right? And I, well, I wasn't going to receive, but I wanted to be, you know, in the presence of the Eucharist. I knew, knew that much. <laughs> um, and it was obviously, uh, this was not the church that would have been my first choice, even when I um, had not yet become Catholic, had not yet learned more about tradition. Um, I will say, you know, thankful to my father for, you know, my upbringing because of that I had an innate um, openness to tradition basically from day one, you know, so that, that was good. But in any case, this church was very modern, very modern Novus Ordo Parish. Even just aesthetically, I was like, this is the last place I would pick if I was going to choose where I wanted to go to church. Um, and uh, I walked into that church and I started crying <laughs> again, just happy tears because I just knew. I just knew he was there and I was very convinced of this and I, and I don't mean to make this just like this kind of like you know silly emotional experience but maybe that's what god you know how he wanted to talk to me in that moment and uh so i walked in and i went to mass and i felt like communion on the hand was weird um, <laughs> and the music was weird and uh, the eucharistic ministers or sorry the extraordinary ministers of the eucharist and all this was weird but i did i knew that jesus was in the blessed sacrament on that day I knew it, and I wanted to be near him, and I knew that it wasn't going to be going back to orthodoxy. I wanted to be Catholic. <laughs> and I think the next Sunday I went up to the parish secretary, and I was like, 
can I talk to the priest? Uh, I think I want to become Catholic. <laughs> and uh, so I spoke to him a few days later, and um, conveniently, this was around the start of Lent, which is a good time to come into the to the church if you're um, Orthodox, and uh, Orthodox have, um, you do your sacraments at baptism. So I didn't have to go through the RCIA that is popular in the Novus Ordo. Um, and fortunately, I knew quite a lot about Catholicism, because even in this matter of weeks, I just started studying uh, obsessively about Catholicism. <laughs> so I, I met with the priest, and he kind of gave me the okay. He was like, well, you can, um, you can be received into the church by a profession of faith and kind of your affirmation of allegiance to the Pope. <laughs> and uh, you can do that at the Easter Vigil. And your son can be baptized then. <laughs> so my little boy, who I cared so little about Christianity, who was not baptized for two years, he came with me that night and became a cradle Catholic, <laughs> more or less. Um, so it was just, it's been a beautiful journey ever since then. Oh, and I got back to Steve Skojek. Uh, <laughs> I sent him a Twitter message, and I was like, I, th- I think you might want to know this. Um, you were right about the Pope. <laughs> I'm becoming Catholic. <laughs> Sorry about that. And uh, from there, he asked me to write my conversion story for 1 Peter 5, and I did that, and that kind of went well. And I was already writing for a lot of um, kind of um, conservative outlets at the time, so I kind of already was building kind of writing interest. And from there, it became a... Um, kind of featured contributor position at 1 Peter 5, and then I started writing for Catholic Family News, and I started going to the Latin Mass, and just, all of this just happened. And I loved I loved in um, Father Isaac's homily this morning, we talk, and Kevin mentioned it as well, that you know the grace God gives you, if you just <laughs> say yes to that little bit of grace, he's just going to dump a torrent of grace on top of you. And I think that's what happened to me. And it just goes to show you what God can do with a little bit of goodwill. You know, I wasn't saying to God in those early kind of desperate prayers, like, okay, God, I'm totally ready to do this perfectly. (laughs) I said, hey, I need some answers here. Please help me. And he did, and he he made it obvious. And I think that's what we have to remember when we are trying to evangelize other people, that it's not just about... It's, it's not just about what you know and how well you know your faith, though that is extremely important, and I'm sure you can hear a lot of people talking about how important that is. And uh, I think it's probably obvious if uh, you've seen anything I write and such that I really do love learning about the faith. I'm really a nerd that way. I get very obsessed with <laughs> different um, elements of Catholic history and um, liturgical dorkiness and all that stuff. But it's, it's about, first and foremost, being open to the grace God gives you, and about having confidence that God can and will give that grace to even the most impossible people. In a lot of ways, I think it seemed impossible for me. You know, it's obviously I didn't go into a lot of detail, but I was living a very sinful life at the time of my conversion and for years and years and years and years before that. You know, I had let sin completely take over my life. I had let my attachment to sins, you know, overrule that innate desire to find the truth that I'd always had to the point where I was just like, "Ah, I'll figure out this truth stuff later. I just want to live my life. I just want to be normal. And I think that the biggest thing is, you know, when I talk about confidence, when I pray the glorious mystery, the coronation of the blessed Virgin Mary, queen of heaven and earth, um, a friend of mine in my parish, uh, 
I prayed it with him um, a few times, and he always would pray for it, the grace of greater confidence in Mary, our queen. <laughs> and I really liked that, and I started doing that in my own rosaries. And I've noticed, noticed the difference in my life of having that confidence that if I place my life in Mary's hands and I beg her to, to take and to watch over those other people in my life who have no interest in God, even the people, even, especially the people who hate me, hate the things I say, you know, hate who I've become, <laughs> all rigid and terrible and boring and Catholic, <laughs> that she will take care of them. And um, I don't know, I guess I have my three kind of Marian weapons. Um, of course, the rosary. I had to bring this up here because obviously I didn't do a lot of preparation for the speech, and I was like, well, I'll have the rosary, so <laughs> Mary will help me. <laughs> Sometimes there's a bit of a kind of fool for Christ kind of confidence, and when you, uh, <laughs> when you ask Mary to take care of you, I find, I find she's, she's very good about that. She's a very good mother. Um, and the second thing is I wear a little chain to represent my consecration um, to the Blessed Virgin Mary. When you consecrate yourself to Our Lady, she distributes all of the graces and she, you know, distributes the graces of all the merits you have, you know, attained, past, present, and future. And you place it all in her hands. And, you know, when I pray now, I know if I forget to pray for someone or something, and obviously I make a good effort not to do that. But if I do, I know, you know what, at the end of the day, <laughs> Our Lady is praying for me for whatever she thinks that I need to pray for, above all. And there's a great peace in that and, and a great confidence in that. Um, and I also wear a little medal, which you obviously can't see, but it is Our Lady of Fatima. <laughs> um, and Fatima was, was a big part of my conversion. Um, when I first was received into the church, I learned um, from a friend of mine about Marian consecration. I had never heard of this before. This is not a thing the Orthodox do. Um, learning to love Mary generally was not that hard for me. Um, I was like, oh, okay, she's the Immaculate Conception. That makes perfect sense. I think the Orthodox are wrong. Sold. Because um, <laughs> I already had been raised to love her. So it wasn't like a lot of Protestants where they have this very deep kind of emotional barrier to overcome with Our Lady. But I wanted to do this consecration. I heard about it from my friend and... Um, I really, really wanted to do it, and somebody had told me about this little book um, by Father Michael Gately. Um, it's 33 Days to Morning Glory. It's kind of one of these very popular, um, like, simple Marian consecration books. I, I actually renewed my consecration um, this year on the Feast of the Annunciation doing the St. Louis de Montfort version, which I highly recommend. If you, if you can do that, that is life-changing, just the meditations and the prayers, and he's an incredible saint. Um, but, you know, at the time, I think that, like I said, this, this confidence in Mary. I'm confident that she accepted my first consecration where I didn't know very much and I had just become Catholic. And I looked in the little back of the book and you're supposed to finish and, and consecrate yourself on a Marian feast day. And the Marian feast day nearest, because uh, I want to do this right away, was May 13th, which in the new calendar is the, is the feast of Fatima. <laughs> and uh, I didn't know anything about Fatima. I think I'd heard like, oh yeah, Mary came to some shepherd children in Portugal. That was all I knew. So, you know, I, I consecrated myself to Our Lady of Fatima. And from there, I just realized I was just seeing Fatima everywhere. This parish, the one that I lived almost next door to, um, is queen of the Most Holy Rosary. <laughs> Another big statue that I would go up after Mass and I would you know, pray in front of the statue was Our Lady of Fatima. <laughs> and I, I didn't know that. Um, I, didn't, I didn't really know a lot about Fatima. But she just kept appearing everywhere. <laughs> and I started reading about her. And I started reading about what happened. And I was just, wow. <laughs> How would I live if I believed this really happened? Because it did really happen. 
the greatest miracle since biblical times, witnessed by 70,000 people, predictions that have completely come true, and simple requests that have not been heeded <laughs> to consecrate Russia um, and to release the full third secret. Because <laughs> that has not been released, just, just to be very clear if anyone here <laughs> hasn't heard that. Um, I really started to want to learn more about Fatima, and that is what I think would be, it's a very good thing to do. And just what Our Lady of Fatima, most of all, what I, what I kind of got from that and from that kind of her coming into my life all the time, whether I wanted to or, or not, was that we do not need to be afraid to evangelize Our Lady. We do not need to be afraid to evangelize with the rosary. We do not need to be afraid to be unapologetically Marian, unapologetic Fatimists or whatever. Um, we need to do that fearlessly. Because when Our Lady gave the rosary to St. Dominic in 1214, somewhere around there, um, she gave it to him to combat the Elbigensian heresy. I highly doubt she said, well, <laughs> this is just a thing you can just kind of keep here. Um, you pray it and then you convince them how they're wrong. No, <laughs> preach the rosary, get people to pray the rosary. And I've seen how powerful it is in people's lives. I'm not afraid to tell people to pray the rosary. And when I am, I need to you know, not be <laughs> because it, is, it, will, it will convert souls. And it's such a simple prayer and anybody, anybody can learn to pray the rosary. I have my, my little boy, you know, he obviously can't do it just yet, um, but he sees me pray the rosary every day. <laughs> and it's... Uh, he has his rosary, and I want to teach him. I want that to be something. As soon as he's able to say the rosary every day, I'm going to just make that such a necessary part of our lives because it is necessary. It is not just an add-on. I think, I think there's this really dangerous tendency when we talk about evangelism, and I hear this from a lot of kind of more kind of mainstream Catholics, that there's this attitude um, that I really don't like about um, Catholic evangelism, Catholic apologetics, especially among young people, right, to make it relatable and all this is that it's this kind of idea of Catholicism as Protestantism plus sacraments <laughs> that, you know, it's basically, we're all basically the same, but then look, we also have the Eucharist. Look how great it is. Of course the Eucharist is great, but Catholicism is Christianity. We, we are Christianity. Protestantism is defective Christianity. And that might sound harsh, but in terms of how we think about it, it's very important. We cannot fall into this trap of this false baseline of, you know, Christianity is basically just Protestant, but we're Catholics. We have something so much better. No, we have the truth. And part of that truth is the Marian dogmas. <laughs> we, don't, we don't need to be afraid of them. We can be gentle and we can explain. I'm happy to explain. That is one thing I would say, know Our Lady. Understand the Marian dogmas as much as you can. But when you can't, average is humility. God is not expecting you to be St. Louis de Montfort. I mean, maybe, <laughs> if that's specifically what he wants for your life. But not everybody's going to write like he does. Not everybody is going to preach like St. Dominic. But everybody can pray the rosary. Everybody can consecrate themselves to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Everyone can learn about Fatima, evangelize Fatima. And it's just so funny to me. Here it is, Fatima again. First speech ever at the Fatima Center. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Hope you have enjoyed this Catholic presentation from the Second International Fatima Youth Conference, hosted by the Fatima Center 
in Cleveland, Ohio. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. We invite you to visit our website, www.fatima.org. Most sorrowful and immaculate heart of Mary, Ora pro nobis.